0: you may open your Bibles to the first verse in the Bible. The study of a worldview is nearly endless if we were to explore and research all earth's competing worldviews. But we're not. The study is nearly endless if we took each axiom down to the detail the Bible teaches about life. We can't. The study is nearly endless if we broaden our worldview to include God's rules for every part of our lives can't. The study is nearly endless if we studied God himself and each major axiom in their great depth. And so presenting this subject is difficult in knowing how to format it and in knowing its dimensions of breadth, how many axioms do we want, its depth, how much detail do we want to go in for each axiom. You know, we've had a God wins, And it's a wonderful axiom because we're on the winning team and our captain is the Lord Jesus Christ and his father is the God of the universe. It's difficult to know how to do this and I'll trust the Lord to help us through it. And I hope that you'll pray for me. I don't want to take very long on this sermon series. If you're not satisfied with the limited proofs given for the axioms I'll give, then consult the links that will be provided for every axiom for more knowledge and information that's been preached in the past. If you're not satisfied with the format, then think about designing your own format for your own family. And now I'm happy. <laughs> I want to tell you the problems of how to deal with a subject this big. Because if you look at worldview in its entirety, it's the whole Bible. And the whole Bible is preached to you over time, but I just want to collect a few of the principal arguments together. These are some axioms that are obviously and absolutely true. They're revealed by creation, providence, nature, conscience, the Holy Spirit, or Scripture. A born-again child of God can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, know them easily. Reprobate persons living by them will realize life's best for them. Because God's word works. Even if you're a reprobate and you put into practice the things the Bible teaches, you'll be better off for doing so. Number one, God is. Some of you that have known me for a long time, many decades, know that I used to start certain uh, seminars that we would hold and advertise in Greenville to the general public to come, that assumption number one is God is. And God is is the foundational assumption and axiom for a worldview. There is a God, but I like better, God is. Because we are told that faith should believe two things. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. He is. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Right. God is. The first four words of the Bible are the perfect four words. Could there be better four words? No. This is God's choice of the first four words. In the beginning, God. He is the first cause of all things. And He is the first end of all things. Everything is of Him, by Him, to Him, and through Him. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the beginning, God. We start out with that fourth word, God. Because in the beginning, there wasn't anything else but God. Amen. But that's all we need for our universe, is God in the beginning. Then everything that flows from Him is wise. It's good. it seemed to its perfect end. It accomplishes His perfect purpose. And we praise His Lord Jehovah name. But that isn't yet. That's a different axiom. God is... We don't know God's name from Genesis 1-1. And we're not even to the next word in Genesis 1-1, which is in the beginning God did something. We're not even to that yet. We just want God. And so we want to start each day off with God. When we come into our assemblies, we want to meet in the back room and start off with God. Every marriage should start off with God. Every day together should start off with God. Our relationship should start off with God. When you go to school, you should be thinking everything about God, even from your lessons about management and the response of employees. And all of us should be thinking about how we're going to work on the job that most of you will be going to tomorrow unto the Lord. Because in the beginning, God. The natural and physical universe Proves the existence of God. Our worldview starts right here. It's not the goodness of man. It's not self love. It's not follow your heart, young man. That is not how we get started. We get started right here with the fourth word in the beginning God. The Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. God is glorious. But the heavens are the work of his fingers, and the stars he put in place. He knows them all by name, and he counts them in full tale. He knows their number and their names. Romans 1.20 tells us that all men know this fact, but they refuse to submit to it. And when they refuse to submit to it, God blinds them and hardens their hearts and rewires them against what they did know. And I do want you to look at Romans chapter 1. This is a simple concept. And I want to give the pagans credit in the past for knowing more than the evolutionary humanists of the present. Because the evolutionary humanists of the present don't want to admit a supreme being of any kind. At least the pagans in the past, with their idols, were trying to make mention of some supreme being. We have degenerated In religious knowledge, not in our church, but outside in the world. Romans chapter 1 says some surprising things that I want you to remember. Verse 18, let's start there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That is a wrong worldview. But notice, they hold the truth, but they live wickedly. They know there is a creator. That is the truth they hold. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then it goes on to say that when they knew God. Now, that may be a surprise to you to read these verses with the emphasis that I'm giving them right now when you know that we believe in a thing called total depravity. The total depravity of man is not his intellectual or observant abilities, deficiencies, but rather what he observes and what he's able to know from the creation of the universe will not bring him to his knees to submit and obey that God, but his heart is set in rebellion against that God, and that's what is taught right here. All men know. It doesn't matter what they say. They know. If, to some degree, they have reached the place... Where they honestly believe there isn't a creator God, it's because God has given them over to a hardened heart and mind and rewired them. But I believe the Bible, and this is what the Bible says about worldly men, that worldly men know the truth, have been shown the truth, and are without excuse because the truth was so clear to them. We start with where they should start. But they rebel against starting with, in the beginning, God. And they want to start with man. And they want to start with their science. And they want to start with accidents and big bangs and other things that they invent instead of right there in the first four words of our Bibles. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. And if you keep reading like in verse 21, because that, when they knew God from creation... They glorified him not as creator god, they didn't glorify him as god, neither were thankful because the lord had put them in such a nice place, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. That passive voice verb construction of was darkened means that god darkened their hearts for rejecting the knowledge of creation that is visibly evident. So they held the truth in unrighteousness. the real issue of total depravity of men is not intellectual but heart right. it's it's what they love. they love sin, so they hate God. they love their sinful friends, so they hate the people of god it's not that they're intellectually de- incapacitated so that they cannot know that the creation requires intelligent design, and that intelligent design is the work of a creator God. There it is. Look at Psalm 19. This is where we start, and we have a solid foundation for where we start with our worldview. Psalm 19. My wife this past week was talking about a strong man coming out of his chamber, ready to run a race. Dream on. It wasn't about your pastor. I was speaking to myself about dreaming. It was about the sun. There were some sunrises, and our house is situated in such a way that we get to see every sunrise. And we thank the Lord for that. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. That is the preaching of the heavens and the firmament. Their line, their preaching outline is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, that is in the heavens, hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. God sends his sun and his rain on the evil and the good, and the heavens declare his glory. Every language, every dialect gets a lesson every day, every night, that there is a creator God. The knowledge of God is in all the earth, but they have rebelled against it. We simply submit ourselves to it, and because we've submitted ourselves to it by his grace, he has shown us more truth, far more truth, than can be derived from the sun or the moon. A sunset or a sunrise only tells us a little tiny bit about God, but he's given us something else, that we've got to wait to get to because it's a different axiom. We want the fourth word of Genesis 1-1. James, what is the fourth word of Genesis 1-1? Excellent. Excellent. You can relax now. In the beginning, God. I hope you'll always remember that, James. James. Everyone in this church should care about everyone else in this church, especially our youth. And it's not to have programs for them. But thank you. Thank you. We want them to remember the worldview that God gave their fathers. In the beginning, God. Every child should memorize Genesis 1-1 as soon as possible and be reminded of it daily. Can you look at these six verses and realize that this just isn't to the elect. This just isn't to the regenerate. This is to everyone. Right. The heavens declare the glory of God in every language. Yep. Day into day uttereth speech. Night into night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's constant preaching that there's a God. And they start their world view off, there is no God. At break time, I was talking to a couple of our brothers about what happened to Germany. You know, the company, the country that hosts the company that some of you work for. That country is dedicated against God. Of all the nations of Europe, it's dedicated more against God than any other nation. If you were to read its main philosophers from the 19th century, the 1800s, and read their hatred of God, Nietzsche, Marx, and others, Freud, you just go on, there's names that you should remember, and God has punished that nation. You say, they look pretty prosperous to me. Don't you understand the Bible yet? It is the prosperity of a fool. When God makes a man rich, and then that man drops into hell, if you ask the rich man in hell right now, do you think he would say, Germany's being blessed? No. No. Oh, to be Lazarus, with dogs licking my sores, but I have the right worldview. Right. Mm-hmm. Every language. There's judgment for rejecting this knowledge. These verses are wonderful. Every child should memorize Genesis 1-1. The youngest child in this church right now that knows Genesis 1-1, and I was going to put him in the pulpit, put him on two milk crates, but that's dangerous. Put that microphone right up to his mouth. Paul? Little Paul. Little Paul knows it. I'm looking for someone who's going to get a two-year-old to know Charlotte. She's not two yet. They should know this verse. In the beginning, God. And instead of jumping to create too fast, let them just stop and linger on the fourth word, in the beginning, God. Because that's where we start. And that's what started everything, is God. God didn't have to create. God chose to create. And what God chose to create was his choice. And how he chose to create, what he created, was his choice. And it's amazing what he created and, it's, and the differences that he made. Should the, should the tiger be jealous of the leopard for running faster? Or should the leopard be jealous of the tiger for being stronger? God made all these differences because it pleased him. Because he felt like it. For those of you that had took the risk, took the severe risk, and clicked on a couple links of Reformed Rap in the Tuesday update, you would have got some good lessons about the sovereignty of God. And he summarized Matthew chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 11, where it says, because it seemed good in his sight, with, because he felt like it. What a God we worship. Because he felt like it. Why does the elephant have a long nose and the giraffe have a long neck? Because he felt like it. What's wrong? Why does God... What did God do with the baboon, my favorite animal at the zoo? I love lions. I appreciate elephants, but I love baboons because my God has a sense of humor. And you know his sense of humor. And it's graphic. And it's red and shiny. And they're at his knees. Beautiful. God did that because he felt like it. When David was telling the princes of Israel to take care of his young son Solomon after his death, you know, he took Israel and he narrowed it down to Judah and he narrowed Judah down to the family of Jesse and then he narrowed down Jesse's eight sons because he liked me, because he felt like it. Our God has chosen man and he's chosen us. Do you know how much mercy he has shown us to be part of this congregation? Not because of its Pastor. Because of the content, the body of content and truth he's given us, and the conviction he has continued to show us over the years to show us things that were wrong, to show us things that are right, so that we can continue to grow in knowledge right. and in a relationship with him. he's He's been tremendously good to us. Yeah. And if you just sit there and think of something that you think is bad, it's still for the glory of God, as our young brother prayed. And we shouldn't be thinking about it as just bad. Bad things do happen. That's why Job said to Mrs. Job, shall we receive good and not evil? Because we do get both. But we prayed today that our faith and love and fear of God would increase so that we trust Him no matter what He chooses for us. Because the first rule is, in the beginning, God. And we reject anyone that doesn't believe in God. I find no evidence in the Bible of men ever wasting their time with atheists. I have no time for atheists. If I smell an atheist trying to write our website, I have no time for him. He's going to spend all his time in the lake of fire and it's an appropriate place for him. I don't care about atheists because if you're that stupid to reject the visible creation with God shoving a blazing sun in your face every morning, and a beautiful moon and stars every night, I don't have time for you. I'm going to go out in my yard and talk to a tree. There isn't any evidence in the Bible. Paul didn't go looking for atheists. Paul went looking for men who feared a monotheistic monotheistic religion. One God, Jehovah of the Bible. Jews or Gentiles would be in the synagogue. He told the Athenians about what I just said about atheists. You're worshiping God ignorantly. And I'm here to declare unto you, you're you're way too superstitious in your religious ideas, and so on and so forth. We start right here. The four most important words for a true worldview are these. In the beginning, God. The origin of everything is with God. Where did things come from? God. God. Why did we get them? God. What should we do with them? What God wants. What's the end of them? What God has chosen. And he's going to burn up everything you can see. Don't put too much confidence or affection in the things that you can see. He's going to burn them up. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, Amen. and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's another verse for those parents that want to exercise their child's minds. Hebrews eleven six is another good verse. The God that is created all things. So any God that did not create all things is not him. Our God created all things, and that's what we start with. God is the first cause of all things. Yes, all things. Yes, including Satan and sin. Is God the first cause of sin? Of course he is. Just think about it. He's the first cause of sin. How is he the first cause of sin, Pastor? You're making me very nervous when you say that. Because he created rational creatures and gave them a law. And when you create rational creatures and give them a law, and you know that rational creatures are going to be tempted to exercise their rationale against the law, you end up with sin. God wasn't surprised by sin. Don't think any other way about sin. Sin didn't originate With the devil, sin originated by the devil. The devil was the first one to sin, and he took our parents into sin. But God's the first cause by creating rational creatures and a law. He was never surprised. Eden didn't surprise him in the least. He was planning Eden. He planned Eden. He determined Eden. Use any word that you want. But he did not cause or force Adam and Eve to eat the fruit off that tree. He did not cause or force Satan to sin against his law. He did not impute or put pride into the devil to sin against the Lord. And pride was the devil's sin. We're told that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 6. You know, people get all messed up. They want to defend God. So, in, so they'll, they'll modify the Bible, or they'll modify what the Bible says because they want to defend God. Hmm. My God is so infinitely holy that he was able to create a rational being, give them a law, watch the rational being break the law, bring sin into the universe, and be perfectly holy in doing all of it. That's right. Amen. And as soon as you start to complain and fight and argue and question that, it's way above your pay grade. Yeah. Stop Thinking and start praising. Amen. I thank God that out of the thirty-one thousand one hundred and two verses, the one that arrested me about God Himself was Romans nine nineteen. After hearing that it is God, it is God who wills. Let me. See, not of him that willeth, no. That's nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In Romans nine sixteen. Then it goes on to explain in Romans 9, 17 that God raised Pharaoh up for one purpose and that was to crush him. And verse 18 is that he hardened Pharaoh just like the book of Exodus tells us he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so there's an obvious question that's going to arise. And so Paul asks the question to head us off. Thou wilt say then unto me. Paul's writing. He's writing the church at Rome whom he had never met. You are going to ask me this question. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? How can God fault someone that is fulfilling God's will? Do you know what the answer is? Oh, you misunderstood me. I would never want to get God that closely connected to sin. I would never want to get God that closely connected to Pharaoh's hardened heart. You misunderstood me. Nay but, oh man. Nay, but, O man, modern English, shut up. (laughs) Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? The question is to reply against God. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Should that exchange ever occur? It should never occur. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another vessel unto dishonor. That's Romans 9, 16 through 21. God, he's the first cause. He's the first choice. He made a choice to create. He made a choice what he created. Could the earth have been the shape of a football? It could have been, but it wasn't. He didn't like that shape. He liked it just the way it is. Could it have been eighty percent water and twenty percent land? It could have been, but it's not. It's seventy percent water and thirty percent land. Could he have made me six foot four? He could have, with effort. But he didn't, and I mean that very respectfully to point out. I'm just trying to point out things. I hope that you listened to Proverbs 16:4 last night and thought about all the choices that God's made. Should the elephant with the long nose be jealous of the giraffe with the long neck? Or do they both praise God? They both praise God and they both die, don't they? Because we messed up this whole creation, including elephants and giraffes and baboons. We messed up the creation. We start right here with God is, the fourth word of the Bible. The fourth word of the first verse in Genesis chapter 1. God did not obtain existence by or from any other being or source, nor did he ask for permission from any board of governors that he wanted to exist. He didn't ask for anything. He just existed. And we, in the beginning, God, do you know right there, we have to fall before him and realize we are incapable of understanding but what he'll show us because it's too far above us. In the beginning God God didn't have a beginning because in the beginning God was already there. Can you even can you even comprehend something that doesn't have a beginning? Everything you know has a beginning because the only things you can know have beginnings because your mind is limited that way. You can't comprehend it. Draw me a timeline of it. I say to you, show me in a computer Something without a beginning. In the beginning, God. What a being we worship. Amen. A very harsh. Let me just chase this, Lord. Use use it some way. I'm going to Proverbs chapter twelve and verse. Was it eighteen that I sent out on Friday? I'm always a week off. Proverbs chapter 12 had a rough verse in it about the the wicked being cut off in their lives and the righteous being preserved. And so I got some some interesting responses, and I got one interesting response, and the man was wanting to comment on the list of popular figures that I had all strung together, along with uh, people of history, modern people, and people of the Bible. And it was obviously a list of reprobates, and I set people up with a list like that because I want to check how much they really believe in righteous living versus unrighteous living. So I get, I get questions of wanting to know why certain people are in the list. And this particular man, who was born in 55, we got to know each other later in the day. This man wanted to know why I put MLK in the list. Now, anytime time I put MLK in the list, I'm going to get a question. You know, I don't know why they don't ask me why I put JFK in the list as well. But they care about MLK, and this was a white man, and he was all worked up because he thought that MLK was just a great religious leader and figure in our nation's history. So I shared a little bit of information with this man that's easily available on the Internet about MLK, and... (laughs) Then we got into some great discussions about the greatness of God, and he wanted to take it further and said, you left out a lot of names in that list of reprobates that I think you should have been included. You know, he was first of all attacking me for who was in it. I said, didn't you feel sorry for Princess Diana? You look at my list carefully. I've got myself covered. I want to make people think. And so I explained a few things that are well known by anybody that's ever, ever done any reading about MLK, that he belonged in the list. And then this man wanted to put Billy Graham in the list and gave the reasons for it. And I couldn't deny the reasons that he gave for it. But then this man just went off and he said, Your proverbs have done so much for lifting God up and making him infinitely big and me infinitely small. Amen. And I can't tell you how much that means to me the older I get. And the more I try to learn, and he said, I am committed at this stage in my life to learning. I want to learn everything that I can. And the more I learn, the bigger he gets and the smaller I get. And that is exactly how it should work. But that big God adopted us. You say, what was wrong with MLK? He was a serial philanderer, which means an adulterous man all of his life, unbelievable numbers, kept track of by our FBI, all of his from Abernathy, before he died, admitted all of it. The night, the night before he was shot, three different women during the evening, on and on it went. All well known about him. All you got to do is just do a little tiny bit of reading. He stole his doctoral thesis that got him the doctor that is on his name. He stole it. He plagiarized it. Third, which is the most important to me. He was a Baptist minister that totally corrupted the office into something that it was never intended to be, and that was a political activist and basically an anarchist with civil disobedience in our country in the name of being a Baptist pastor. Baptist pastors in the history of the world have never done anything like that. Enough about that subject. This God is the being we have to deal with. In the beginning, God. Because in the beginning, when there wasn't anything else, there was God. And that God we're going to learn about as we go through the axioms of our worldview holds us to a standard of how we're going to live. He's got rules of righteousness for us. And he is big and we are small. The first and foundational axiom establishes a higher authority by power and wisdom because in the beginning, before there were schools, before there was anything else, there was God. The power and wisdom to be with nothing in the beginning except himself and then everything else to flow from him shows his power and his wisdom. Amen. God didn't obtain existence by or from any other being or source and he didn't ask. If you, like most, assume God exists, how hard do you seek to know and obey him? If you believe, axiom number one, how hard do you work to know him better? Every one of you, I can't just give you an axiom of a worldview without it causing us to reflect. Do I believe that worldview? If in the beginning, God, if those four words are true, then in the beginning, when there was nothing else, there was God and everything has, flow, has flowed from him. What effort do you put forth to know him? Right. How much do you love him? Do you want to know more about him? I appreciated hearing earlier this morning that the Knowing God series was the favorite of someone in this congregation. In the two weeks that I had with another preacher, I explained the importance of that particular series because it's knowing this God. We can't just have a little list of rules that we memorize and teach our children. Do you love this being? Do you love to talk about him, learn about him, tell about him, defend him, read about him? See what he wants from you and give it to him and give more to him than he asks. Do you like to go above and beyond like David did? David delighted in the Lord, his God. David wanted to build the Lord a a house. And the Lord said, I never hinted about having a house. So the Lord built him a house. God is. What are we going to do with that? Yes, of course. It's a rule of our worldview. Yes, but what about you personally? That God will have a personal one-on-one relationship with anyone that chooses it to approach unto him. If you approach unto him his way, he will meet you more than halfway. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. That is unbelievable. But it is true. And as we already had mentioned in this pulpit as well, He is inside us by his eternal spirit. He's inside us, this great God. So when we start with, in the beginning God, is he part of your everyday life? Do you walk with him? Do you delight in him? Do you want to exalt his son because he loves his son? Not to exalt Jesus because our denomination tells us to exalt Jesus, but exalt his son because he loves his son. Do you get shouting happy when you see something about God that lights your candle? Do you get shouting angry when someone questions God about pulling a trigger? Is it all about God? It is all about God. The universe is all about God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. It's all about God. And so we start right there with God. What is the number two axiom or assumption that I would start all those seminars with in days gone by? God gave scripture. We have to jump to the Bible next because the Bible tells us most of what we know about God. Creation only tells us a little bit about God. The Bible tells us the rest So we've got to jump to the Bible. God gave Scripture. Rule number two for how we view the universe, for how we view life, how we understand our existence, how we look at politics, ethics, law, history, relationships, all of it. Rule number two, God gave Scripture. If you don't like the word Scripture because you haven't had it in a spelling test yet, Josiah, then choose Bible. God gave the Bible. You have a great smile. God gave Scripture. The visible universe only proves God's existence and His eternal power so that they are without excuse. That there's a Godhead. That means there's a God. And He has eternal power. Because if He's, ever, if He's able to create everything that we know, He's got eternal power. Those are the two things that Paul singled out in Romans chapter 1 that we know by the natural creation. Providence proves his goodness, Acts chapter 14. Conscience proves his morality, Romans chapter 2. You know, all men have basic morality infused into them so that society can function and everyone doesn't kill everyone. Just basic, thou shalt not kill was put into every man and if a man never had the written Bible, it doesn't matter. He's going to be judged by the the unwritten Bible that was put in his conscience when he stands before God. And so, I'm I'm kind of sliding those aside at the moment to come to God gave scripture as number two. The Bible has powerful internal evidence of divine origin, unlike all other holy books. No other holy books has all the evidence that the Bible is a supernatural work. That was a series of messages preached 15, 17 years ago entitled, Why I Believe the Bible. And it's not about the King James Version. It's about why I believe the Bible, why these 66 books that we have in this Bible and the two testaments and the 1189 chapters, this book, why do I know it's inspired? How do I know God wrote it? How do I know it has a supernatural origin and justifies my attention to it and my devotion to it as having correct divine answers on every issue? That was a series preached long ago. It's only a link in this outline because I can't re-preach that. But there are so many things that the Bible has. Fulfilled prophecy is number one because the Bible committed itself to so many prophecies well in advance of the fulfillment of those prophecies. That declares the Bible is a unique book. There is no other book with fulfilled prophecies like the Bible. Don't let anyone attack your Bible. The second rule, and it's the foundation for us, is the Bible. God wrote a book and gave it to us for us to know him and for us to know about our world and for us to know about how to live. And if we didn't have the Bible, we're lost. Because he's the creator isn't enough. He wants to tell us in detail how we can worship him. He seeks worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And with the Bible, we know what spirit and we know what truth means. It's defined by our Bible. The Bible is everything next after God. God gave Scripture. God gave us a Bible. The Bible is, is beautiful on every subject. What is the life expectancy of a man? It's 73 what does the Bible say? 73. How does it say that? It says 70, and if by reason of strength, 80. So you've got a few that make 80, because strength, to have meaning, means that it can't be average. So you've got to have less that make 80 than make 70. So the Bible tells us 1000 BC at least. Now, if we trust the Hebrew scribes, Moses wrote Psalm 90, which puts it back another 500 years before David, but we don't really care. For 3,000 years, we've known that the life expectancy of man, according to Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12, is 73. You know, we know why death happens in the womb. It was last Sunday, it was the first Adam. There are things in the Bible that are just fantastic. The Seven Sisters, some of the constellations that are in the Bible, when the Bible identified them in certain ways, man had not yet had telescopes to identify how many stars were involved in those constellations. The Bible says that there was a Hittite empire. The world until the 1950s said, There was no Hittite Empire. The Bible is wrong. Then they discover the Hittite Empire. (laughs) The world is always behind. They're slow learners. They're in remedial learning, and they never get anywhere. They know nothing. We know everything. And it's not because we're special. It's because he's special and because he felt like it. And because he felt like it, he showed us some things and taught us some things that are in the Bible. I encourage you to look up that outline, why I believe the Bible, and just scroll down through its main points. Just its main points. Don't be intimidated by it. It's long. Just its main points, like fulfilled prophecy, like medicine, like history, like geography, geology, everything you can think of. The Bible has dealt with it, and dealt with it in in a way that we haven't figured out until much later. Psychosomatic illnesses? Psychosomatic illnesses. If you look it up in some medical journal, it's going to be a recent discovery. But the Bible talked about it a long, long time ago, way back in the Old Testament, and so forth and so on. It's far superior to any other revelation by its detail and written evidence. Remember 2 Peter 1.19 we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. We have a light in this dark world. We know there's an eternal God that was there when there was nothing else. In the beginning, he was already there. The first verse of the Bible. Second of all, God revealed himself to us by writing a book. That is the most incredible thing. This eternal, infinite, independent, I am that I am. But that is another axiom. That God wrote a book to us about himself and about us, our origins, our future, how we can please him, right. how we can please ourselves, how we can maximize the utility of life that he gives us. He has the rules for ultimate pleasure in every part of life. He invented sex. Don't think of anything outside of our God because he created it all and he gave rules to realize it at its best. He told you how to have life's best and even if a reprobate were to obey the Bible for whatever reason, they would derive benefit by doing everything in their lives right They would not derive the benefit that we can have by God in us and God with us and God favoring us specially above his word, but they would have a great blessing. He inspired this written revelation and preserved it for four millennia to us in our King James Bibles from 40 different writers over 1,500 years of time. That is incredible. God wrote us a book. Don't let anyone ever make fun of that book. We don't worship the book. We worship the God who wrote the book. But we honor the book. We trust the book. We love the book. We believe the book. We teach the book. We defend the book. We want to live by the book. This book is incredible. There's no other book like it. What do the holy books of India get you? Who wants to bathe in the Ganges? Adam's been there. We haven't. You don't want to bathe in the Ganges. But that's their holy river. Do you want to read their books? Do you want to read the Quran by a people who kiss a meteorite and throw stones at the devil every year by taking a trip to Mecca, a pilgrimage to Mecca, where they can kiss a meteorite in their kaaba stone. What a God we have. Amen. They say Muhammad was the greatest prophet. A prophet needs to prophesy. Mohammed couldn't even read, let alone prophesy. He couldn't do anything, and he didn't prophesy. The Quran does not have prophecies. The Bible's filled with them. The Bible's filled. Filled. Both testaments. Do we know how Europe developed? Do we know where it came from? Do we know what empire had to break up for it to appear on the scene? We do, we do, we do. We know incredible things. The destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, there's Jesus saying, some of you standing here shall not taste of death till you see the kingdom of God come in power. Well, we know that that's got to happen in 40 years. 40 years. Or Jesus' statement wouldn't be true, and we find out that it did happen within 40 years, didn't it? And on and on it goes. Old and New Testament, we have this fantastic book. And so when we are talking about a worldview, how we're going to look at life, how we're going to look at politics, how we're going to look at the world, how we're going to look at nature, how we're going to look at our future, how we're going to look at death, God gets us started by knowing there is an eternal God, with a Godhead and eternal power. But then he wrote a book. He inspired 40 men to pen sentences for us. He preserved it over 4,000 years to get it to us. And he gave it to us in our language, and he preserved it. And it can reach the depths of yours. There is no other book like it. Amen. It can speak to your soul and comfort you and lift you up and feed you. It can feed you up here. It can feed you here. It can feed you what you ought to do with these. You say, where does it say? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. See, it says hand. It, it covers our whole lives. It's, it's fantastic. Amen. And it's where we go with axiom number two. We never let anything go against the Bible. What's the verse we started off with today? Up here in this pulpit, Psalm 119, verse 128. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. I value your Bible as being perfect on every subject. I bow before your inspiration and your preservation that I have divine truth on earth in a book, in my home, in my language. And I hate every false way. That's what the Bible should do to you. As soon as you hear anything, it doesn't matter how popular, how prevalent it might be, does the Bible say it? If the Bible says something different to it, we believe the Bible and we hate that other ism or we hate that other idea. And you're faced with them every day, every day. And if you're out in the world, all day. There are thoughts coming up and opinions coming up and news. Never have we had news feed just supplying us with all this junk going on in the world at all times. But you know what? Instead of rebelling against God's choice to put us in this generation, let's embrace God putting in this in this generation. Let's use the witty invention of our website. Let's take all that knowledge that's coming to us that we can't avoid and let's exercise our senses to discern good and evil in every one of those events. WikiLeaks? You ought to have an opinion. You ought to have an opinion. Do news reporters have rights? They have privileges. And any king worth his salt would throw them in a wood chipper. Well, they didn't have wood chippers back then. But David, David still got the Ammonites to pieces about this big. And the Bible wants you to know that. Everything that the world throws at us, let's take and measure. There's a God, and he wrote what he thinks about what's going on. And he wrote, and he said, that you better never speak evil of dignities. Mm -hmm. What a book. The Bible says about itself that it's God's complete, perfect worldview. All Scripture Does that include the Apocrypha? No, the Apocrypha is not Scripture. Scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Rule one, God is. Rule two, God gave Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine That is teaching knowledge for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That is what God says about the book that he wrote for us. He inspired it by men. David said in Psalm 45 in describing the work of inspiration, he put it this way, my heart is indicting a good matter. The word indict means to dictate. My heart is dictating a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And so there David was. He had thoughts welling up inside him, and so he revealed those thoughts, and a writer penned them down, just like Jeremiah did. He penned them down with a pen and ink on paper, remember? And put them down for us. And so all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, I know that you know this. And next Sunday we'll go faster because all the introduction is out of the way. But you know this. I'm glad you know this. Can we as a church show the Lord that we really believe this? We have two things to do then. Number one, God, I want to know you better. And I want to walk with you this week like I have never walked with you before. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to love you more. Thank you for giving me existence and revealing yourself to me that I know you. God, thank you for writing a book. I'm sorry that I've neglected it. I haven't read it as diligently and meditatively as I could have or should have. I want to do better this week. When I open its pages, will you open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of it this week? Will you show yourself to me this week? Will you let me land on some passages that will tell me about things that I'm doing wrong that I can do better? Let's not use these axioms to just hate the world's worldview, which we will do, which we must do, because they are mutually exclusive and antithetical to each other. The antithesis is our religion against them. But let's look at this as what can we do better to put these things, if it's a real worldview, then how can we maximize our time in this world? God, help me in my relationship with you Help me learn your Bible better. And we'll take the worldview that far this week. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen.